I was was a spelling champ, and I remember thinking, they said the the, the first prize was I think it was like five or ten thousand dollars, and all I could think about is I've got to win this for my mother and father. I remember that I got. I'm going to win this and give it to my mom and dad. And so I won it, and then I went down to, uh, I think, uh, like the CG&E building downtown, and, you know, because it was now the, uh, it was a, the, the citywide, you know, uh, spelling bee. And my mother and father were sitting out there, and I said, okay, and in my mind, I'm going to win this, and then I'm going to go to D.C., and I'm going to win that money. And I lost. I forget how many rounds it was, and I lost and as I got up coming back to my mother and father, I started crying like a baby because I was so disappointed. Greater Cincinnati Basketball Hall of Famer and consultant Roland West developed his talents in Cincinnati's West End. I don't know what made me think I could win the whole thing, but I certainly did. Mm. Hear his story in our 12th installment of the West End Stories Project. I'm Key, manager of the Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library's West End Branch. Thanks for listening. father, as I understood it, from my grandmother, one night as they came out of the movie theater, uh, the clan, you know, literally, you know, were marauding in that town. And um, she moved briefly to Chattanooga and then eventually up to Cincinnati, where, where there was some family. He was four years old and, uh, you know, never really talked about it much, but you know, that's how he got here. You know, I'm surprised that they just put things aside more than we do today. Yeah. My mother uh, came up when she was, I think she was seven years old from uh, Danville, Kentucky. Hey, Matt, as I understand, you know, <laughs> my mother was a, just a beautiful woman, you know, and my father saw her. And my father was steady. You know, he was a worker. He just was an excellent guy who worked. He worked, you know, he worked at GE for 26 years when when he finally got that job and missed three days' work. So he always took care of business, and she saw that in him and really was attracted to it. But they were out of the club somewhere, out of some night spot, and that's how they met. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I think she, she fell for him because he was such a steady, providing kind of person. You know, he started out, he did he was a chauffeur for a while, you know, he worked all the time, but he would get laid off here and there. He uh, worked construction, and finally he got that job out of GE, sort of later in his life, and he worked there for 26 years before he retired. And I'm proud to say that that man missed uh, three days' work, and he was just, a, you know, just a, a, an excellent provider. You know, he, he, he was the guy. For most of his childhood, Mr. West and his family lived on Lynn Street, in a Lincoln Court housing project. We we grew up right at 1062 Lynn Street, right across the street from the Lincoln Center. I've got two brothers and a sister. And uh, we had a three-bedroom apartment. You know, you walk in that front door, you know, there was the living room. You keep going, there's a kitchen. You turn right, 
down that hallway that was probably no more than four or five feet, you know. There was three small rooms, you know, and those were the bedrooms. My mother and father had one. My three, my two brothers and I, three of us, we had ours, and my my sister Pat had hers. You know, Pat and I stayed in the same room till I was about three years old, and she was two. <laughs> then they thought it was right for me to go and, and join my two brothers, you know. So it was a very smallish place. The Lincoln Course, if you know it, people who know anything about them, you know, three buildings sort of comprised a little section. You know, every sector there was a little section of, of it. We weren't allowed because my father was very strict, you know, not to even leave our little section, you know, because as, as young people. Um, that there was a rule down there. Uh, Mr. Whitehead was the police officer. He was a black gentleman, uh, and, and uh, he was the one that policed the area. If you break a window, it costs you $2. You did not break a window at all because that means your mother and father had to pay $2 that chances are they did not have. If you got caught on the grass, I think there was like a $5 fine. You do not want to get caught on the grass there because, because you had to talk to your mom and dad and they had to pay $5. That was an absolute no-no. Right across the street from their apartment was Lincoln Recreation Center, where he and his brothers went every day to hone their skills. When I got about, I guess about nine years old, my brother was 10, we, we both fell in love with basketball like my older brother. And Lincoln, Lincoln Courts was a place that every day, every day, after we cleaned up our room, my mother would allow us to go over there and play at the Lincoln, the Lincoln Center. And it was just like magic to us. And every day, every day, every day, we would play at the Lincoln Center. And Mr. Mack was the gentleman who was sort of the coach of, the, of that, uh, of the Lincoln Center basketball, you know, the gym. And so he was our coach. We learned a lot of basketball. And, and I mean, if my mother said, no, you can't go because your homework, I, I just, I felt like I was, I would just die, you know what I mean? And I, I, I was fortunate that I was the first African-American in Cincinnati, I'm told, and I'm, it's true, to get a full scholarship, uh, African-American to get a full scholarship to the University of Cincinnati um, uh, that, that was from Cincinnati. You know, and so uh, my brother Dave, my oldest brother, he got a full scholarship to Miami of Ohio, and my brother Richard went to Kentucky State. So we all got basketball scholarships. But a lot of that was because, you know, my mother just took the made the decision. Even though I had aunts telling her those boys should be working, but she would never ask us to work. She just said, just keep doing what you're doing. And it paid off beautifully for us because that's how we all got college, you know, our college degrees. Um, but it started right there at the Lincoln Court. He attended Dyer Elementary School and Porter Junior High School in the 40s and 50s. Um, you know, my first day of school, I just remember, just, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't even believe my mother was going to, we were so close even then. You're going to, you're going to send me away from you? I remember thinking that. But it was a school where there was, I thought, excellent teachers, uh, you know, especially Mr. Brown, my sixth grade teacher, uh, Mr. Rich, my fifth grade teacher. It was just, a, it was very disciplined. It was a school where every day started with you you lining up your class down in the basement, and you could not move to your your class until everyone was quiet. You know, the teacher was standing there. And that principal is walking through, looking at everybody. When your when your class is quiet, you can move to your homeroom class. 
And that's what happened, you know what I mean? Very disciplined, you know, it's quiet. It, it really was. Um, it was a school that if you got, if you talked or did anything that was disobedient, the, the teacher would ask you to walk, you, you go out in the hallway. And if Mr. Patia, who was the principal, walked around and saw you out in that hallway, I mean, he had, he had carte blanche to grab you by your ear, typically would grab a person by their ear and take them to the, to the office and give you a, two or three paddles. I mean, and so you never did that. That never happened to me. I, and that was a rare thing to happen. And it was a lot of discipline. I don't remember any white students there. It was kindergarten through sixth grade. I went there as, as a kindergartner we did. Black and white teachers, you know. Uh, Mr. Brown was a, was an African American, and I just absolutely adored and respected that man because he would travel to the Middle East and go to Israel and places like that. And he'd bring pictures back, and that just opened my mind to a lot of things. I said, what? And he would show himself on camels and stuff, and I see pyramids and stuff, and I go, wow. And he would talk to me about things like that and talk to us, and you know everything that happened to me when I was my four or five months at Porter, my I would run back to Mr. Brown. Anything that happened good, I would run back to tell him about it, you know. But I just thought it was a wonderful learning experience. I thought Porter Junior High School was not, you know what I mean. Very much the opposite of Dyer School in terms of discipline. There were there were there were boys in there, quite frankly, that I was afraid of. And I mean, they really were. They were guys who were. You know that this there was there was no discipline there. There were guys that would fights and stuff like that. The things that I just man, just you know, I was I was I can't tell you how skinny I was. You know, I was I was as skinny as a rail. I was unbelievably thin. You know, and so everybody had to weigh some weight on me. And guys wanted to fight a lot, and I just didn't like that. And I don't think education was 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 paramount there. I just didn't see that. It was so just so different to me. And, and you know, we had Miss Moody, who was my seventh grade English teacher, and she people would act up, and she would close that door. She would sometimes close the door and scare me to death, and she would talk to us. You're acting like animals. You're acting like animals. She was a very proper, pristine kind of woman. You know what I mean? And, she would dress us down, and I could understand where she was going because, you know, there was loud talking and stuff, and it was just that different. That's why I did not like it. I just did not like that school. You know, I, I remember watching a fight in the in the uh, locker room, and two guys were fighting, and I just, it scared me, quite honestly. You know, it made me nervous. Although Mr. West and his siblings were generally good kids, he relayed a few odd encounters. You know, we were always pretty good students. You know, I was in my sixth grade. I was a spelling champ in dire school, you know, because, you know, thanks to my grandmother, you know, she made us take school and reading very seriously. You know, my grandmother wouldn't come around a lot, but when she did, you'd better have a book in your hand, you know, or we could hear her tell our mother, uh, sis, she called my mother sis, you know, her, her daughter. She said, sis, they're not reading. We would hear that, oh, Lord. Sis, why don't they have books in their hand? You know, and she came from Danville, Kentucky, and that was very important to her. Have them reading, have them reading. And so we started reading really early. Um, so, that you know, that's the kind of family we came out of. And, again, it sort of, I guess, paid off, you know. 
um, and I think there was a lot of a lot of that kind of goodness down there. That's 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 the Lincoln Courts in the downtown that we know. You know, uh, being good, being good students. Um, you know, not getting into any trouble, but <laughs> but we you know you know the trouble we would get into was just wandering into places. Uh, I remember as a little boy, my my uh, brother and I. You know, that's a place called the Wood Factory. You know, we'd go down there and, they, and you see old wood, sticks of wood, and we would go get them and, and, and make little horses out of them. You know, they were like our horses. And uh, one time we were down there and some bigger guys literally, you know, forced us to go down into this little hole and, 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 and get, get wood for them. You know, I mean, they were like, you, you, you know, you'd better go down there and get wood for us. And we did that, you know, and, uh, and, and we, you don't tell your mom and dad that they, that that happened, you know, but we were, we were scared, but then we got all the wood out of this little place. All we want to do is a little piece of wood or two, and then we would make horses and we'd come home, but we had to keep giving them wood, kept giving them wood. And they said, that's enough, and then they let us go. I mean, they wouldn't let us go. There was another time that my brother and I, Richard, you know, there were these right on the corner of Clark Street and Lynn Street. Right across from the Regal Theater, there was this abandoned cars. They were old cars. They literally had no wheels on them. They were sitting on blocks. And we would sometimes get in those old cars and just, it was cops and robbers. I and mean, it sounds corny, but it really was. It was just cops and robbers, seven, eight years old. And one day the police came. You know, the police came and pulled up. And said we were trespassing or whatever, you know. It's just a vacant old vacant lot. And he put us, they, the police put us in the police car and they took us down to the station. And on the way down, I will never forget, I was sitting right behind the driver of the car, the police car that, and my brother was on the other side. And the police that was sitting in the, the other seat, the, uh, let's call it shotgun, he pulled his gun out, and he t- t- turned around and pointed it at me, and he said, do you know what this, this gun will do to you? And, I, I, and I'll never forget that, you know. He pulled that gun out and looked at me. You know what this gun will do to you? I don't remember being, like, deathly afraid. I don't didn't think he would shoot it, but I remember looking at the barrel of that gun. And, so, and you know, and we... They drove us down to the station. I'm not sure exactly where that was. And they said we were trespassing and all that. I think I was seven. My brother was eight years old. And they said, we're going to lock you all up for the summer. You know, and I, the fear of that, you know, I've always been real close to my mom. And I remember this, this you know, I, my brother teases me to this day because I looked at the uh, police officer and I said, can my mama come to see me? <laughs> And I remember him chuckling. And uh, in my mind, I'm thinking, if, if I can see my mother, I can work it out. I'll be, I can, even if I'm locked up. But they let us go. We had probably had no intention to, to, to do anything but to, just to let us go, and we walked back home. But those are the things that I, I remember. Like, why would he pull that gun out? But uh, he sure did, you know. <laughs> mm. When Mr. West was 12 years old, his family left the West End and moved about 10 minutes away to Evanston. 
you know, you could only you could only make a certain amount of money and stay in the Lincoln courts or the Laurel homes. You know, if you made uh, beyond that, you could not stay there. You know, you had to make under a certain amount. And my father got a, a job that was above that amount. And at that point in time, you, you had to go. There was just no choice. And so we we moved out for that reason. You know, as a as a young person, I didn't understand it. You know, you know, and I was really disappointed because downtown was everything we knew. You know, <laughs> that was that was that was total life. You know, all those wonderful black people around us. And stuff. I look back and I think about how many men and women. There was there was Mr. Vinegar, there was Mr. Mack at the Lincoln Center, there was Mr. And Miss Douglas, you know, who were African Americans. They ran the Lincoln Center, uh, and I remember them very quality people. Blacks in those days, you know, those things were handled and ran by black people. You know, they were black professionals, but they were blacks who would not be allowed to do anything else in the city outside of the black neighborhood. You know. They, you know, everybody in our neighborhood that ran those kinds of events and stuff were African Americans, you know, almost destined, you know, they, you know, it was very cordoned off, I think, from the white communities. But our black professionals, Mr. and Mrs. Douglas were such professional people. I could still remember them. Uh, Mr. Mack was a professional guy. Mr. Vinegar, the kids loved him. And that, that just sort of, for the most part, kept us in line. Everything that kids needed was down there then, and now I hear that kids don't have this, this. But I mean, there was always a place to play down there. There really was always a place to play. Lincoln Center accommodated so many kids. Link, uh, Sinton did, you know, Finley Street Neighborhood House did, um, and and now a lot of those things have gone away. I think, you know, we just didn't have much money to do a whole lot of things, but. Life was just seemed like it was just almost perfect down there for me, you know. Thank you so much for listening to this installment of the West End Stories Project. The West End Stories Project is brought to you by the Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library and is co-produced by your host, Key, and our grants librarian, Kent Mulcahy. If you like what you've heard, listen and subscribe to the West End Stories Project wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and help us get discovered by leaving a review. Thank you. So the woman beat up the woman who was with her husband? Yes. Yes, the woman, you know, she thought this woman was messing with her husband, you know, and 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 she really physically, physically, we were all down there ready to go down to play a baseball game down to Guest Street Park. We were waiting for the coach to come to walk us down there, and it happened while we were there assembled, just sort of about 10 of us kids. And it happened. It happened in front of us. And I mean, it, I just remember how it just like, oh, my God. And, and I was just stunned by it, just stunned by two grown women fighting like that. And actually, she beat her up really bad. And the very next weekend, Ivy May was, died, in a, in a, and that stunned me. It's the first time I, somebody ever died that I knew or, or knew of, you know. That was had such an impact on me. 
she died. I said, yeah, she's dead. I said, I was like, oh, and I connected and she beat this woman up. I said, oh, I wonder if that she did that. Oh, if she died because she did something that was that bad. That's what I remember thinking as a kid. I was, what, maybe 10, you know, you know, like, wow. And, um, well, anyway, I hope, you know, anyway. So that's just the way it happened. Mm. And her name was Ida or Ivy? It, it was, I, I remember it as Iva May. Iva May? Iva May. That's the name I remember. Uh-huh. Huh. Wow. 